Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Samantha. So I prepared to come up here and talk about how sick these shirts are, and... um, Ethan stole my thunder, and I was so excited to use that term. Just so you know, sick means good. He really likes the shirts. Didn't, didn't sound like it for a second, but it means great or something like that. Um, man, it, it was a great weekend. I'm, I'm so thankful for this group of students and the leaders that invested in them and Nick Ganey, and we're so blessed to have him pouring into our students, and uh, it's just a really, really cool thing. And if if you have high school and middle school students and they were not a part of this weekend for whatever reason, this is a really welcoming group. And so Wednesday night, they meet right here every Wednesday night and they walk through God's word together and they encourage each other and they do life together. And as a parent of teenagers, I'm always a little bit worried about what voices my students are listening to. Anybody with me on that? And all the evidence says they're listening to you as parents, despite what it looks like. (laughs) They are listening to parents, but they're also listening to their peers. They're also listening to other voices. Pushing them to this group gives them voices that they need to hear. And so don't, don't believe... Whatever is out there that says, man, this is not that big of a deal, it's not that important, like... Push them to this group. Push them to these voices where they will hear each other and they will realize they're not alone as they try to live out their faith, defend their faith, all these things, and, and trust that it's that, that process of making disciples, that families are primary in that, the church comes alongside that, and youth groups are, I, I think they're a really, really important part of that. And so push them to that, send them here Wednesday, and this group will welcome them, right? Yes? Better say yes. So... It's a good weekend, and uh, it was a great weekend, and we're going to look at God's Word today as the story of Jesus' baptism, which if you just stop and think about this, I think the question comes up like, why would Jesus be baptized? The question comes up for me is like, what do you get the person who has everything? Have you thought about that question before? Like in our society, for whatever reason, we're so abundantly wealthy that we have to face this question. Christmas comes every year, like, oh, well, what are we going to get him? He has everything. That's just the way our world works and and you're like paralyzed like I don't know he has he has everything does he need anything what what do we get the person who has everything just so you'll know I know Christmas just passed so you might want to store this for the next time that something comes up but we found that this year my father-in-law is a guy who has everything and we found a blanket that looks like a giant tortilla (laughs) and he loved it I mean he he pulled it out of the box and wrapped himself up in it and uh it like 
What do you get the person who has everything? Maybe that's the answer for all of us, at least in 2020. The blanket that looks like a giant tortilla. That's, that's what you get. And it's just, when you don't have a need, how, what do you do? Like, what do you do in that situation? My, my family over the break, my wife talked us all into going to Canton, which is the scariest environment imaginable for me. And uh, first Mondays, and we all went, and we were trying to make it exciting for the kids because they weren't really excited about spending a day in Canton. So we gave them all some money and said, buy whatever you want. Buy, buy something. Just find something at Canton and buy it. And most of them didn't buy anything that day. And we were talking about it, like, why didn't you buy anything? And my youngest, Glory, said, I didn't find anything I needed. I said, well, that's not why you go to Canton. <laughs> no one goes to Canton because you need something there. This is not, that is not this place. Um, and what, what do you do? What, what do you get the person who has everything? And in this story, if, if you've been tracking along, you know what's going on here. Kai talked about this baptism that John the Baptist was proclaiming. And it's a baptism of repentance. It's a baptism of turning away from your sin and turning to God. And he's asking all these people to come and be baptized. He's asking all these devout Jews who are resting in their Jewishness, who are trusting in their uh, heritage, who are trusting in their circumcision, trusting in all the things that they've done. He's asking them to turn away from their sin and not rely on their heritage and their family and their ancestry and, and to repent and turn to God. And so John is baptizing with this baptism of repentance, calling people to confess their sin and turn away from their sin. And then Jesus shows up and he wants to be baptized. And if you know that this is a baptism of repentance, it doesn't make sense. It's like, why would Jesus want to be baptized? Why does Jesus need to be baptized? Because here's what we know about Jesus. He's perfect. He's sinless. He, he he obeys in every way. He's never once sinned. He has nothing to repent from. He has no sin to turn away from. So why would Jesus come and say, hey, I, I, I want to be baptized? If this baptism is for repentance, it should stop us and make us ask the question. If, if, you, if you look at the text, if you look at Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus comes to be baptized, John kind of gives us that very clear clue that this doesn't make sense. John would have prevented him. He would have stopped him. He said, I'm not going to do this. He says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? I mean, John the Baptist is the herald. He's preparing the way for the coming of the Messiah. And he knows that Jesus doesn't need to be baptized. He knows that Jesus is perfect. He knows that Jesus doesn't need to repent. And of all the people gathered at the Jordan that day, every person there needed to be baptized, needed to turn away from their sin, needed to repent, except one, Jesus. Even John the Baptist, who's got the message and is preparing the way, he knows, I need to be baptized. John's message was, there's one coming that's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. There's one coming that's greater than me. My baptism's preparing you for him, but he's coming, and it's going to be much, much better. And when he shows up, Jesus wants to be baptized. John's like, no, this, this is not, that doesn't make sense. You have nothing to repent from. You have nothing to turn away from. You have, you have no reason, no sin in your life. And so that confession there, John wants to prevent him from doing that, just kind of tells us, okay, what's going on here? Why does the one person on the planet, the one person in the history of the world, 
who doesn't need to be baptized for repentance, who doesn't need to repent from any sin, why does he want to be baptized? And so Matthew's account of the story seems to help us answer that question. And I want us to answer that question today because here's what Matthew says, verse 15. Jesus answered him, let it be so now. John, you don't want to baptize me, understand, but let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So here's what Jesus says. This is why Jesus says he's being baptized. Jesus was fulfilling all righteousness in that moment. Jesus' words to the question that everybody should be asking is why the guy who has no sin is wanting to be baptized in a baptism of repentance. Why? He says it's to fulfill all righteousness. John, go ahead. It's okay. I'm going to permit it. It's, It's fitting right now because in doing this, I'm going to fulfill all righteousness. So what does that mean? Well, When we talk about Jesus, a lot of times what we do is we lean way over here and we talk about the fact that he came to die in our place. And we lean there because that's true. Like we, it's it's a important truth that Jesus came to this earth, that that the son of God took on flesh, was, was born of a virgin, came into the world and lived this life so that he could go to a cross. We sang that song around the Advent season, the cradle to the cross, that he was born with this destiny always in mind that he was going to take our place and die on the cross for our sin. And so we talk about Jesus coming to die. We talk about the fact that that's why he came. He came to die on that cross to pay the penalty for all of our sin. But we also need to talk about the fact that he came to live for us. That Jesus didn't just come, show up, hey, I'm here, put me on the cross. He came and he lived a complete life. He lived all these years and did all this ministry to show us how to live. He's, he's not just showing us how to live, he's living for us. He's living the perfect, sinless, obedient life on our behalf. Because here's what happens. Jesus dies for us and that pays a penalty for our sin. But we need righteousness in order to be brought back to God. And so what Jesus does is he lives a perfect righteous life in order to exchange the account so that when he goes to the cross, he takes our sin. He dies on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. And if we put our faith and trust in Christ, then what he does is he gives us his righteousness. He gives us his obedience. And so Jesus didn't just come to die for us, he came to live for us. He came to live this perfect, righteous life and give that to those of us who trust in him so that God can then welcome us into his family because now God sees us as if we've never sinned and as if we've always obeyed because Christ gives us this righteousness. And so what Jesus is saying here is let me be baptized into this baptism of repentance because I'm here to fulfill all righteousness. I'm here to live a, an obedient life before God and I'm here to dedicate and consecrate myself completely to God's will. And that's what this baptism looks like. See, there's another thing that we only seem to talk about once. It's this word Repentance. Repentance is turning away from our sin. And we know that. We talk about that all the time. But it's twofold. Repentance is turning away from our sin and then turning to God and saying, I'm not going to. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to live by God's standard. I'm going to turn away from my sin. I'm going to turn to God. I'm going to put my trust in him. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to submit to what he wants me to do. I'm going to consecrate my life to God's plan and God's will. So I'm turning away from sin and turning to God. A lot of times we forget that. 
We know, we, we know when we get caught in sin or we find ourselves struggling with something, we go, man, I gotta repent, I gotta turn away from this. And we turn away from the sin in the moment. We're convicted for a moment, but we don't fully turn. We don't fully turn to God and let him replace that, let him dethrone that sin in our lives. And so guess what? It doesn't really work, does it? We end up right back in the same thing the next week. A couple of months down the road, we're right back in, the, because repentance, the full picture of biblical repentance, turning away from God, turning away from sin and turning to God and consecrating ourselves to him. And so in that sense, Jesus is baptized into repentance. He doesn't turn away from sin. He has no sin. But what he's doing is he's publicly de- declaring, my life will be consecrated completely to God. My life will be wholly his. I'm going to follow God the Father in obedience. The Son is being baptized to identify with us in that moment and saying, this is the life that I've come to live. I've come to fulfill all righteousness and I'm gonna do that in the very first step by being baptized here in the Jordan River. And the Bible tells us that over and over. One of the places you see that very clearly is in Philippians chapter two, verse five. It's talking about Jesus and how we should live in response to what he did. And he says, has Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, look at this, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ's life was a life of obedience. Christ's life was a life of obedience to the Father's will. He had a mission to accomplish, and that was to die for us, but the mission included him living this perfect, sinless, righteous life, and his baptism is the beginning of that process. It's it's him saying, I'm I'm here to fulfill all righteousness. I'm gonna live this, this out, and so he's gonna be obedient all the way to the point of death, but his obedience starts here in the Jordan River. I'm here to fulfill all righteousness. It's such an interesting thing to think about that Jesus is identifying with all of us in that way and saying, my life is consecrated to him. And so as as God calls us daily to repent and this rhythm of confession and repentance in our lives, remember that it's, it's repenting, turning away from sin and turning to God and saying, God, my life is yours. I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna follow you. I'm gonna fulfill all righteousness because Jesus did that for me. There's a couple other things I think that you see in this text that kind of give us even a bigger picture for how, why Jesus was baptized, why he entered into the waters that day, why he insisted on doing that. And the second thing I think that you see is that this was the beginning of his ministry. Jesus was beginning his ministry officially at this moment in time. John has been out in the wilderness and he's been proclaiming, prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah is coming, there's one coming. And then Jesus shows up and in John's account, it says, uh, in fact, I want you to see this. John chapter one, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the same story in John's account. Jesus shows up to be baptized and John proclaims, he's here. This is the beginning. This is where it all begins. This is in some ways like kind of a coronation ceremony for the king. The king has shown up. The king has arrived and John is announcing that when he shows up and then he's baptizing him to kind of 
symbolized this is the beginning of God's redemption plan. It's always been here and it's always been ready to go, but now it's in full force. It's in full motion that the king has arrived and his ministry is beginning. And so this was like that formal announcement of that. And here's, here's what's interesting to me about that. Baptism is always a beginning. Sometimes I think that we see it as a finish line. I, I know that it's tempting as parents to see it that way, isn't it? Like you get, the, you get this baby that's born into your family and, 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 and you, you bring them home and you start to nurture them and you start to disciple them, you start to share the gospel with them, you start to point them to Jesus and your, your hope is that one day they will profess faith in Christ, that one of these kids that's sitting around here, that they'll come to this place where they understand that they need a savior, that they need to repent from their sin, even if they've been brought up and they've been living in this great godly home, there's still this separation and that one day your hope is that they will come to faith in Christ and they'll place their faith and they'll verbalize that faith that they'll come to this place where they say, yes, I need Jesus and I want to trust in Jesus and without Jesus, I have no hope on my own. We want our kids to say that. We want our kids to understand that. We want our kids to believe that and when we do, then we baptize them. And we gather family and friends and we tell people, hey, we're going to have a baptism. It's going to be awesome. Our, our son, our daughter has decided to follow Jesus and is professing his faith or her faith in Christ. And we baptize them. And then sometimes it's tempting to think, man, we got it. We did it. And to look at that as a finish line. But the Bible doesn't seem to indicate that that's a finish line. It seems to indicate that that's the beginning. When Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. He said, baptize them and then teach them all that I've commanded you. It's leading them to faith and then discipling them and helping them learn what it means to follow Jesus and to live for him. And so baptism for the parent is just the beginning. It's a celebration and it ought to be celebrated like crazy. But it really is just a beginning point in their life with Christ. And that's where we have to really come in and begin to shape that and to mold that and disciple that and teach and have, have all kinds of conversations all the way through that process so they really understand what it means to follow Jesus. Baptism isn't an finish line it's a beginning and this is Jesus's way of saying this is the beginning of my earthly ministry this redemption plan it starts here today and then I, I think you look at the story I don't think you can look at this without recognizing that in this baptism Jesus is setting an example for us that Jesus was very simply showing the way that Jesus was setting an example for us to follow. That the guy who doesn't need to repent from sin is willing to be baptized to confirm John's ministry and to confirm that we all need this. We all need to turn away from sin. And he's showing us the example. He's showing us the way. And the, the Bible tells us over and over that this is one of the things that Jesus does for us, that he shows us the way we're supposed to live, that we're supposed to look to him and to follow him in that way. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. Here's the other side of that. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. We can have assurance that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So Jesus gives an example. 
and we are supposed to follow him. We use that term all the time. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm following Jesus. Do we really understand what it means? Because it's not mysterious. It's not, it's not hard to understand. It means that we're following him. Where he goes, I go. What he does, I try to do. I'm going to look to Jesus' life as an example for how to live, and I'm going I'm I'm to do the same things. I'm going to follow him. And so here Jesus gives us this first example of obedience. As a, as a believer, the first step for us is to follow him in believer's baptism. That's exactly what he's doing for us. And so here's, here's a real-time application for, for you this morning. If you are in this room and you're trusting in Jesus, and that would be your confession, I've put my faith and trust in Jesus and him alone for my salvation. What he accomplished on the cross is my only hope for eternity. If that's you, you're trusting in Jesus and you have not been baptized, then let's get that, let's get that taken care of. We, we do baptism from time to time in our church. Usually that's when somebody comes to us and says, hey, my my." my Kids profess faith and we want to do baptism and then we have maybe a couple of them and we put something together on the calendar. And we, I don't think we currently, we probably do and I'm just out of it, but I don't think we currently have one on the calendar right now. You come to us today and you say, I need to do that. I need to be following Jesus in this first step of obedience and I need to be baptized. We'll get it on the calendar right now. In fact, we, we moved out of the YMCA and now we're here and we don't have this giant pill to baptize people in. So we'll find a baptistry and we'll get it up in here and we will baptize you because we, we want you to be able to follow Jesus in this thing. So if you're here, student, child, adult, it don't matter, and you say, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I've never taken that step and I've never been baptized to identify with God's people and identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then come and talk to us today, right after the service. Come and find me. Come and find Ryan. Come and find Kai. Come and find any leader in our church, anybody that you know, and say, hey, I, I need to do that. I need to, I need to get that taken care of. I want to follow Jesus in everything and anywhere, and so I'm going to do that first and foremost right here with a step of baptism. Just come find us after service, that's all. I'm not gonna make you stand up or raise your hand. I almost had some youth camp up in here, but I decided, no, let's don't do that. But like, take care of it. Jesus, he's given an example. First step of obedience for a, a believer is to follow him in believer's baptism. Come and talk to us about that today. So Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness. He's here to obey in every way and to give us that righteousness when we put our trust in him. He's beginning his ministry, it's a coronation, and he's giving us an example for us to follow. And when you look at the story and you see Jesus being baptized and you know this question like, why would he need, then you recognize baptism is a big deal. It's a big deal to Jesus, and so it ought to be a big deal to us. Baptism, he made it a part of his ministry. In John chapter four, Jesus and his disciples start baptizing in a different part of the Jordan. So it became a part of his ministry, baptism. He also made it part of our mission. So what he says in Matthew 28, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. I'll be with you as you do that, baptize and teach. He made it a part of our mission. Baptism is a really big deal. Students, you all know how big of a deal it is, right? Because in the scavenger stunt that you guys did, Nick made the most points 
for your scavenger stunt this weekend to find a pastor to baptize you. And so I baptized six of you yesterday in my swimming pool. And I had waders on and you didn't, and I'm sorry for that. It was, it was really cold. And I, I think I said to every single one of you, this doesn't count before we went under the water, right? So I thought, hey, this doesn't count, all right? This is just, this is just part of the scavenger stunt. And uh, parents, if your kid got baptized yesterday, just so you know, that, like, that was just a part of a game. We were just dunking them for fun. It was just getting wet. It wasn't real baptism. And, um, but it's a, it's a big deal. Jesus makes it a big deal. And so if you haven't taken that step of obedience, let's, let's, let's figure that out. It's a part of Jesus' ministry, and he makes it part of our mission. And we as a church want to make sure it is a part of the mission that we're in. And God has blessed us, and we baptized a ton of people in our four and a half years of history. And we want to continue to make that available as that step of obedience for every single one of us. So that's why Jesus got baptized that day. That's what the Bible seems to tell us about that. But there's another aspect of the story that I want us to look at because I think it's really important. Because we talk about this idea that our God is a triune God, that our God, the God we worship is a trinity, that he's one God in three persons. And sometimes that's kind of hard to see in our Bibles. There's no Bible verse that explains. And here's what the trinity means. And so we kind of have to figure that out, and there's a mystery involved. But in this story, here's one of the stories where we get to see the trinity. We get to see this picture of all three persons of the Godhead actively involved in one specific story. And you see that in the story. You see the son is being baptized. And as the son rises from the baptism waters, as he comes out of the water, which baptism is a symbol of his death and burial and resurrection. And for us as a believer, we're identifying with his death. I'm dying to my old life and then Christ is raising me to walk in a new life. So as the sun rises out of the water, here's what, here's what you see. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, descends on him. And you, get, you get to see this picture of the Holy Spirit at work. Sun comes out of the water and the Spirit descends on him. And what the Spirit is doing is he's anointing him for this ministry. It was the beginning, it was the coronation, and the Spirit is descending like a dove on him to anoint him for the road that he's about to walk for the next three years. And it's an interesting question here, right? Like, okay, doesn't he have the Holy Spirit? He's, he's God. Yes, he does. But he's also human. Kai talked about that in Advent. He's 100% God and 100% man. And as 100% man, he gets anointed by the Holy Spirit. He gets empowered by the Holy Spirit in this moment for the ministry that God has called him to, to fulfill all righteousness. God has called him to do that. And he, as a man, you gotta think, he needed that confirmation. He needed that anointing. He needed that power as a human to accomplish what God has called him to do. So the sun rises, the Spirit anoints, and then you also see God the Father at work, or you hear him at work because his voice comes, and the Father confirms everything that's going on here. The Father confirms that this is exactly what we've all said it was, that the beginning of the redemption story is unfolding. And you see it in this last verse, verse 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, and you see, here's what God the Father says in that moment. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And that one statement by God 
It's so big. It's unbelievable. I mean, first of all, there's been 400 years of silence. No prophets, no message from God. Everybody's like, has he forgotten us? And then all of a sudden, God's voice comes, this is my beloved son. I'm well pleased in him. And the silence is broken in that moment. God's plan is about to be unveiled. This, This one statement is also kind of a combination of Psalm 2 and Isaiah 42. Psalm 2 talks about the son of God that's gonna deliver the nations and gonna receive the nations as as his inheritance. And so he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And then Isaiah 42 is talking about the suffering servant. It's one of those prophecies in Isaiah that says the suffering servant is coming. And in Isaiah 42, it says, I'm gonna put my spirit on him. And this baptism story and God speaking in this moment is basically saying the son of God is here. I'm putting my spirit on him and he's a suffering servant. He's the Messiah. He's the son of God and he's here to suffer. He's here to die on a cross. And the whole mission of God and Jesus is kind of just shown to us in this moment at baptism. And he's here as the son of the most high God. And he's here to suffer and to die on a cross for you. And in that moment, As Matthew's trying to connect it back to those Old Testament facts, you see, yeah, he's the one. He's the one that's come to save us. He's the one that's come to deliver us. And he came as the son of God to die in your place, to live for you and to die for you. And so here's the crazy thing about this. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you know that that's happened. I trust in Jesus. I have no hope apart from Jesus. My faith is completely in him for my salvation. And if that's you and you're part of the family of God because of what Jesus did, then then this statement that God makes, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, is a statement he can make about you. Stop and think about that for a second. Christ lived for us a perfect life and then died on our behalf on the cross. And we place our faith in him. The Bible says the accounts have been switched. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he takes our sin, it's gone, nailed to the cross, and he gives us his perfect righteousness obedience. And so now when God looks at you because, not because of what you did, but because of what Christ did, now when God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness on your account. He sees Christ's obedience. He looks at you as if you've never sinned and as if you've always obeyed every single time. So God looks at you, students. God looks at you, children. God looks at you, adults, and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, and him and her, I'm well pleased. Take that into Thursday morning when you've messed this thing up. All the commitments you thought you were going to make for disciple now, you forgot them all. And you've wandered back away from that again. And you feel like a failure and you feel like I got nothing to offer here. And take back, if your trust is in Jesus and in him alone, God looks at you and he sees not your sin. He sees Christ's righteousness on your behalf. He says, you're my daughter. You're my son. In you, I'm well Please, not because of anything you've done or I've done, but because of everything Jesus Christ accomplished. He fulfilled all righteousness on our behalf and he paved the way so that Thursday morning you can get up in your failure and embrace your identity in Christ, embrace the truth of that, and then you can follow him 
again. You can follow him anywhere because of what he's done for us. Let's, let's come together and let's pray and let's thank him for that this morning. Let's pray. God, thank you for the truth from your word. Thank you for the reminders that we need every single week of the gospel, of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us that we had no chance to accomplish on our own. And God, I I pray that today, just like any day, but maybe even more focused today, we will respond in obedience to whatever it is that you're leading us to do. That we will proclaim, God, we want to be followers of you and we want to follow you. And some, some, some people in this room, they need to take the first step of obedience in baptism. I pray that today will be the day that they, they take that step. There could be all kinds of different steps that you're leading us to take in faith and obedience. And I pray that you would empower us to do that. That we would be hearers and doers of your word for your glory. And we're so thankful for Jesus and what he accomplished to pave the way for us to fulfill all righteousness. His ministry and the redemption and the example that he set. Help us by the power of your spirit to follow him all the days of our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.